to say yes sir and then the bible goes on to say eh hey, hey, if you are obedient you are calling the bible alaba shake bredo so kodo hey hallelujah ah no let's do this thing give me first peter chapter 3 i feel the anointing to teach this thing the light if the light goes on it's not enough for the light to go on the bible says the light shines it shines no my light will not just go on hora basakala mashida bahaya mambro dosagida haya no my light will not just go on it's not enough that you clear you have to be excellent your light no 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 it's, it's not enough that you do before and he has put all things under his side under his side But we pray that as uh, we ask that you give us the grace to delve into your word because of the amazing stuff you have prepared for your your kids, your children. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Okay. All right. Uh, so today we are going to start looking at something new. I just realized I've run out of time uh, because I don't know where I went. I went somewhere just here. If only you knew. Genesis chapter number 8 verses 22. We're going to look at um, a, a, a message I've entitled or I've titled The Law of Seed and Harvest. Now, this is one of those teachings you must never miss because of the significance it will have on your faith and your Christian life. So it's one of those you don't want to miss a single session of these okay and we're, we're gonna name this one lessons from saw okay so this is part one you can name it lessons from saw can you imagine we are in fellowship with god what a privilege what a privilege Okay, I need to like catch myself. Njingire na ikata. Want to do a in the right direction. I do a catch here. Pa ya rabasha talada gadej. You know, God is good. <clears throat> Serious is not the fruit of the spirit. Now the fruit of the spirit is serious. <laughs> If the Bible says that, bring it to me, I'll show you what to do with it. <clears throat> Genesis chapter number 8 verses 22, I'll read a few introductory scriptures and then I'll get into some really cool stuff, okay? Yeah. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest and cold and heat 
and summer and winter and day and night shall not cease. Okay? Now he says, while the earth remains, I find something interesting on this scripture. He says, while the earth remains, seed time and harvest. Why doesn't it call it harvest time? Because this is supposed to be together. If it's supposed to be seed time, then there's supposed to be harvest. But I believe the reason why he just said seed time and never said harvest time is because this is a, a law that is a phrase. For as long as there is seed sown, there's no need for harvest time. It's going to come. Okay? I'm not saying physically there's no time, but as long as there was a seed sown, there's going to be a harvest. Hallelujah. All right, Galatians chapter number six, verse one. I'm reading from the NKJV. Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and, and, and so fulfill the law of Christ. So the law of Christ comprises in bearing one another's burden because we are a body. The pain that the arm is feeling is going to affect the body. So dependability defines the law of Christ. Our oneness. It's called a law. That means if a person who is a believer is going through something, you are not going through it. It's just a matter of time before you catch the same pain. So if you don't want to catch the same pain, deal with the person and help them. In the same way, if a person who is a believer is experiencing a blessing, rejoice with them because it's just a matter of time before you begin experiencing the same. So the opposite is equally true. Praise God. <clears throat> For if anyone thinks himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. In other words, if somebody thinks they don't have need to help someone, then they are really nothing. Because our somethingness in the body of Christ depends on how we are helping other people. This is why we should not be like, eh, I knew the way she was just behaving, that she will fall. Eh. I knew that relationship was not going to last. You know? So, don't rejoice at your friend's downfall. Okay, let's go on. But let each one examine his work, and then he will have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. For each one shall bear his own Lord. Verse 6. Let him who is taught the word share in all good things with him who teaches. So let him who learns share with all, all good things to the one who teaches him. So I'm supposed to eat everything that you reap. That's what the Bible is trying to say here. Eh? Amen. Okay. And then the Bible says, uh, um, also, this also means, this also means give feedback. If a teaching blessed you, you just keep quiet. So share every good thing also means, say, that teaching changed my life. I never knew this was that. That's why we give reviews in the church group. It's giving back glory to God. Because some of you are stingy with your progress. You know that a teaching has changed your life. See? As if God is glorified in your silence. So, when you've been blessed by a teaching, share it on your WhatsApp statuses. When it's time to post in the church group, say, ah, that point, I never thought of it like that. You are testifying because ignorance was damaged. That is a reason to give glory to God. But some of you are just ungrateful and you should change from today. Oh, you are a grateful bunch. Praise God. Okay. I wasn't telling you, I was telling your neighbor. Now, and if you're sitting at the end, it was a war I was telling you. <laughs> 
All right. Okay. It's getting more interesting. Then it says, do not be deceived. Verse 7, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. And that is one of our basis for this teaching. For whatsoever a man sows, that he shall also reap. Okay? When the Bible teaches on the principle of sowing and harvesting, when you read, for example, in Luke chapter 6, verse 38, it's not necessarily talking about giving things or material. When the Bible says, give and it shall be given back to you, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, shall men give unto your bosom. We are quick to interpret that into material. But that teaching is in fact very general. It also coincides with the teaching of sowing and reaping. Life is a bag of seeds. And we are normally an expression of the seeds we had sown in the past. Okay? Either somebody sowed a seed for us or we sowed the seeds ourselves. Our own existence was the result of mom and dad sowing seeds in each other's lives. So life is a bag of seed. Oh, amen. I'm preaching the right stuff here. Praise God. Jesus is Lord. So you realize that life is all about seed sowing. When God wanted a lot of sons, the Bible says, in order to bring many sons into glory, he sowed his son into the grave. And then when he resurrected, he resurrected with all of us. So when God wanted a harvest of sons, he had to sow a son. You get my point? So life is all about sowing seeds. And you have to know that God cannot be mocked. And it's interesting that this scripture comes immediately uh, after verse 6. Because verse 6 says, Let him who is taught the word share in all good things with him who, is, who, who teaches. So every time you are sharing with me, whether it's good news or it's material things, God is not mocked because when you sow, the Bible is saying you shall reap. Are you listening to me? So it's interesting that immediately after that verse, the next one comes. Okay, but we are saying when we talk about the principle of sowing and not just talking about material things, it's, it's, it's general. Life is about sowing. And as I've told you, life is a bag of seeds. So God cannot be mocked. God cannot be fooled for whatsoever a man sows that also shall he reap. God cannot be mocked. In other words, the, the, the opposite is equally true. God is not blind. Whatever good work you are doing, you shall also reap. So it's like God is watching. You can't mock God. Whether you do what you're supposed to do or you don't do it. When, when you don't do what you're supposed to do, God cannot be mocked. When you, when you do what you're supposed to do, God is still watching and he has not neglected your work in the Lord. You shall reap. And the Bible goes on to say, for he who sows to the flesh, this is, this is important, for he who sows to the flesh shall of the flesh corruption. The word corruption comes from the word decay. So we are not talking about so when I saw corruption, I also reap brown word of God, it's larger because you don't sow a seed and expect to reap a seed. You are going to reap a crop. You've never sown like a maize seed and just in like a cute maize cob seed coming up with like a seed on top. You're going to reap an entire thing. Praise God. So that's what we are talking about. Even in the law of the spirit, it's the same. That's why the Bible says give and it shall be given back to you. It doesn't end there. It says good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. That means there's an increase because you just gave. 
but your receipt is good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. The same thing is true also for faith, because in Mark chapter number 11, the Lord Jesus Christ says, if you've got faith the size of a mustard seed, you will command a mountain. It doesn't say you will command a seed. So if you've got faith the size of a mustard seed, because faith is a seed for results. Faith is a seed for results. You want results, you have to sow the seed of faith. So faith is a seed for results. In the same way, doubt is also a seed for results. It just depends on what results we are talking about. Are you following me? This is some very important stuff. Praise the Lord. Yeah. And then he says, but he who sows to the spirit, or he who sows spiritually, will of the spirit reap everlasting life. I love the use of the word everlasting life here. See, remember what I told you last time. It's a quality of life. It's not an issue of eternal life here. Because at some point, everyone will have to live eternally. The devil will live eternally. (laughs) Demons will live eternally. Angels will live eternally. You and I will live eternally. But contextually, when we talk about eternity, we are talking about immortality. That is a sense of a quality of life. Life with God. That's called everlasting life. So this side, you are reaping decay. Because you sowed to the flesh. This side, you are reaping everlasting life. The life that is durable. The life that stands against trouble. The life that is able to endure persecution. The life that is able to overcome sickness. That kind of life which is even superior to the life of Satan. You know, the the, the life that we receive in Jesus Christ is superior to the life of Satan. That's why when the Bible says you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. The truth does not necessarily set free. It makes free. Because, let me explain something. When we say somebody has been set free, what we are saying is they were bound. Now, they've been set free. You listen to me? So, come, come. You were bound. Like this. Okay? You are there bound. You're just crying. People are teasing you. And then there's a court case that goes on. Then suddenly we come and we set you free. Then you are oh, free. We're even like, hey, what should I wear? <laughs> but then, are you ready to catch the revelation? Yes. But when the Bible says you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free, that's different. When the Bible says the truth shall make you free, it means, so Satan had bound you in the first place. So let's say this is Satan. And he had bound you in the first place. And then he frees you because you had some truth. Okay? That's good. But that's not what Jesus Christ did for us. He didn't just cause us to be set free. He caused us to be made free. It's an issue of creation than release them. So the truth makes you a free man. That's what the truth does. It makes you a free man. So it's as if you never existed. That means it's not Satan who set you free. Because you were not there. So it was not possible for Satan to set you free. How can he set free something that never existed? This is what I felt like there's an Isaac I've not touched yet. 
You know? Yeah, and I told you that's the reason you have to be rich. For two reasons. Because the Bible says you must be rich. Jesus died for it. It's an error for you to be poor. It's unbiblical. Yeah, 2 Corinthians 8, 8. You'll find that kind of language going down. You know, brethren, the grace of our Lord Jesus, that although he was rich for our sake, he became poor so that in his poverty we may be poorer. So that in his poverty we may be, we become rich. Don't. It's dangerous. So number one, because the Bible says it, please, I'm not the one who's saying it. For you know, look, it's in your Bible. It was there before I was born. I just found it. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, for your sake, not for an angel's sake, for your, for me, ah! He became poor that through his poverty, we may become middle-income people. It's be, this thing is beyond the nation. It's a gospel thing. Even if the nation is having trouble, you are not a Zambian. You are a kingdom person. You are beyond nationality. Are you listening to me? You are beyond nationality. Yeah. Someone can buy a Bugatti here. Just <laughs> This world has money. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Oh, everything is going south. Someone is making noise on the news. Or else you're all singing about poverty, about poverty. <laughs> Come on, somebody, show me your angry face at poverty. Show me. Show me. <laughs> Can't. Something is changing in the spirit. I'm telling you. Something is changing. Two. The reason I must be rich, I told you last week, I must not be found wanting when it comes to giving. Imagine we say, we need to raise, like, we need to raise, we need to raise 5,000 to buy a new keyboard right there. Then you don't have a 1,000 to give. Imagine. At least it should hurt you. Mm-hmm. Yet one person, one person can just rise up and say, ah, don't worry, don't. I'll buy that thing. So we need to raise a 5,000 to buy a new keyboard. My wife and I are going to put a 2,000 already. We've pledged. So there's a three pin remaining. If you don't do it within the next one week, I'll stop everyone if you don't pledge and we'll buy it ourselves. So we are going to pledge. Okay? So imagine being found wanting. Imagine there's a, there's a 500 that's missing so that we could bring some people from Kafiwe or from somewhere here. And then you don't have the 500. You don't have, imagine, you don't have it. Some people would have come to listen to this amazing wisdom, but they never have trans- had transport. Why? Because you were broke. You, you, you just didn't have the money. And then for some of you, the worst person is the one who doesn't even cross their minds. When we are saying, this was how much was given, you are just flipping down. <laughs> you are found wanting. It's getting better, amen. amen. At least it should be hurting you. At least it should be hurting you. Not in no. 
Look, I've got enough for you. See, the Bible says, the Bible says he supplies all your needs. That's one level. But there's a place for riches and there's a place for needs. I have all my needs met. I don't lack anything. But there's a dimension of wealth we're about to get into. And one way to get into that dimension of wealth, confess it. Speak it. If you hear the things I call, hey, confess it. Confess it. Don't just be angry. Confess it. The Bible says with the same spirit of faith, I have believed, therefore have I spoken. So you are sowing seeds of faith. Don't just keep quiet. When you are keeping quiet, you are also sowing a seed. So if you are, it's like when the Bible says death and life lie in the power of the tongue. So whether you are using your mouth to speak life, you will reap. Or whether you are speaking your mouth to speak death, you will still reap. At the end of the day, do something, speak. Some of you, the reason why the enemy is constantly fighting you is because when you are in your place of prayer, you do not sow seeds of victory. You are quiet. All you do is sow seeds of wandering. Why did it happen like that? That's helping in the situation change. You rise up and you begin sowing seeds. In the name of Jesus, I don't lack a thing. I decree and declare, I am favored of God. I won't end up like everyone else. I am a success. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down. David was going through a hard time when he was writing that psalm. I don't lack anything because the Lord is my shepherd. He's always with me. In the name of Jesus, I am prosperous. It's my middle name. There's a way you work things in. You are sowing seeds. Are you listening to me? And then the Bible goes on to say, therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good. It's still talking about sowing seeds to all, especially to those of the household of faith. And that, that, that is where our church stands on. Our church is supposed to be one of the richest because we believe in seed sowing. The Bible says, as much as it depends on you, do good unto all men. Meaning you're just naturally a good guy. Good people are good for no reason. They are good for the reason that they are good. They don't need motivation. They don't need a reaping effect for them to be good. Because goodness is not a motive. It's not a motivation. Goodness is a nature. Because the fruit of the spirit among them is goodness. So you are good just because you're a good person. If I'm going to be with you on the bus, I will not let you pay. I'll pay. Why? I built it over time. If we go to a place and there's a chair, that's, there's only one chair, I'll let you sit. I'll stand. Because I'm naturally a good person. The Bible says, preferring one another above yourselves. That's how I am. Because you are, you are, you are a good person. It's nature, so do good to all people. We are running like this towards the chair. Why do you want to sit at your friend? Even if it's a joke, you let your friend sit, then you, you stand. Because it manifests in very small things. You see, I was telling someone, when you're dealing with spiritual sin, it's very tricky. For example, pride. Pride is very complex. Pride is not just walking with your shoulders like this. Or answering people. Sometimes you can think a person is proud because you think they are proud. Let me give you an example. When the Bible says, 
If you confess your sins, it's faithful and just to forgive you of your sins, 1 John 1, 9, and to cleanse you of all unrighteousness, right? So let's say this person was watching pornography or stealing or sleeping around, anything wrong, and they were a believer. And then it hurts them so much, they decide it's time to get back to God. Then when they get back to God, obviously at that point, Satan also tells them, just sit you, all the things you've done, you think you're going far. <laughs> you read the scripture, it says, if you confess your sins, it's faithful, and you confess your sins. But every time you walk, you're like, oh, I lied. You're like, oh, I don't, how could I do that? How could I just steal that money? You've been afraid to, should I go confess? You're struggling with the thing. But you read the scripture and you believed it. But then you are struggling to just move. You're still feeling like you're far from God. Because you are thinking of how bad the thing you did was. At the moment that you confessed, if the Bible is true, then God has forgiven you. That means the thing you are dealing with is no longer the sin that you sinned, but the new sin of unbelief now. You can't do anything to earn your salvation. You didn't do anything to earn it in the first place. It was handed to you. Then now you want to maintain it in the flesh. You want God to punish you. So you start thinking, maybe this is why I'm going through this. It's because of what I did. It becomes demonic now. And then that kind of knowledge is above the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And it's a high thing. That's pride. Because the Bible says... In 2 Corinthians chapter number 10, it says, our weapons are not carnal, but they are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Inasmuch as we refute arguments and we bring down every high thing that exalts itself above the knowledge of God, bringing every thought to the obedience, bring it captive to the obedience of Christ. So there can be a thought that's telling you, you, the reason why you are not yet employed is because of the money you stole. The reason why you are not in a relationship is because of the person you slept with. You've confessed. You do everything for God, but you are still trying to earn your salvation. That thought is above the knowledge that says, if we confess our sins, it's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us of our unrighteousness. That means you are being proud because you set your feelings above the knowledge of God. And sometimes people go through a situation where they did something wrong. But when they did something wrong, it's never left their conscience. Why? Because Satan wants you to lack confidence in the presence of God and in the presence of Satan so that you can just be wound to your way out. But you see, the Bible says something interesting. The Bible says, if Romans chapter number 5, you know, verse 10, give me that scripture. It says, for if while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, how much more shall we be saved from his wrath? From this, but God demonstrated his own love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Go on. Then it says, much more then, Having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. If whilst we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, how much more now that we've been justified? It's very hard for a person to go to hell. 
It's very hard for a person to live in sin. With what Jesus Christ has done, it's a very hard thing. Someone has to insist. Because the Bible also says in, second, in, in the book of 1 John chapter 2, Little children, I write to you, verse 1, Little children, I write to you that you may not sin, but if anyone sins, meaning if it ever happens that you are in the wrong, Jesus is still interceding for you at the right hand of the Father. That's what the Bible says. My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. If anyone sins, we have an advocate with Jesus Christ, with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. So it's like you have a lawyer. You know how people say, when, when you graduate from law school, they say, now we can commit all crimes because we've got a lawyer. <laughs> and this is a problem that people have found with the grace message. Because it's too good to be true. So they say, does it mean then that we should sin so that we can experience the grace? And Paul said, no. So it's not new. The way you are feeling like, uh, is he now saying we should just be sinning so that, no. Because the Bible says if we confess our sins, it's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us. So he just doesn't forgive you. If he forgave you, that would be good. But he deprived you. He cleanses you of the desire, the unrighteousness. How do you go back? And even if you went back, you confess again. <laughs> he will still cleanse you. Because if he said he's able to, you should, you, a normal unsaved human being can forgive 70 times 7. Then what more God? I'm quoting you scriptures. You start quoting me scriptures too if you're arguing. Yeah, it's God who wrote the word of God. I just found it. So everything I'm telling you, it's in your book. Praise the Lord. So if you don't like my teaching, you've noticed a number of scriptures I've quoted to you. Go and counsel them from your Bible. This is, why, this is why people are also more sin conscious than righteousness conscious. The Bible also said, I think it's 1 John 1.17. It says, if we walk in fellowship with him, his blood cleanseth us from all sin. It doesn't say cleansed, that's true. But it has got a ripple effect and it's consistent, present continuous. Cleanseth us. That blood consistently cleanses it's not possible to live in sin. Not only does God forgive you of the sin. Okay, when you sin, why did you feel bad? It's because there's a righteousness within you, a cleansing going on. It's not possible to stay a sinner and be a child of God. Praise the Lord. And so it says, it's the seven. But if we walk in the light, I just added the one. I've got the number one mentality. As he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us. It cleanses. That's not a mistake. Fellowship. That fellowship. That fellowship, that oneness, that relationship we have cannot permit sin. It deals with it. It deals with it. Somebody say, thank God for fellowship. And this is what you need to be established in the grace of God. 
you, 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 you need to be established in this message. If you don't get established in this message, you'll be a very religious believer who struggles to live rightly with God. Because you don't know how to walk in the love of God. You don't know how to free yourself in the love of God. You don't know. Because you have not accepted this message, you have to accept it and walk in it. See? Righteousness is a skill. You can be skilled in the doctrine of righteousness. That's what the Bible says. Hey, hallelujah. So when you read, it says, be good unto all men, especially to those of the household of faith. So you're naturally a good person. But you are even more good to believers. You show favor to believers. You go out of your way to make sure a believer is comfortable. It's a seed. It's talking about seed sowing the whole time. You just don't... You, 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 are, you, are, you, are, you are in a study group and then a girl came late and then you, 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 you discover you're not interested, maybe you are late, you need to study then you discover she goes to City of the Lord Church or some other spiritual church. Ha! Huh? You go back and help her. Especially to those of the household of faith. You've heard that believers have been looking for a job. There's a job opening at your workplace. You want to go call your homeboys or... <laughs> Roma girls or 13. You post there. But in your church group, you don't want to post. And if you empower some of those fools, you are the one who will begin complaining because some of them are unbelievers. Because the Bible says, if when the righteous rule, the city rejoices, but sin is a reproach. Sin is an abomination. Sometimes there is sin in places of influence. And let me tell you what's going to start happening. I am convinced that the church is coming to a place where Three will be gathered somewhere in a room in Silverest and they will remove people from office. Let me not get into that, but just know that the church has got authority to do such things. Because the Bible says in Matthew 18, it says, it says if two or three agree concerning anything touching what they need on the earth, it says, my father in heaven will do it. It says anything the moment we come to a place where we understand the importance of the prayer of agreement, the world has never been in trouble like it's going to be, and the body of Christ will be the one responsible for that trouble. <laughs> Two people will be in a room and they will say, oh, we need to fire that minister. <laughs> they may not even be as educated. I'm telling you, that's the place the church is placed. But you have to learn to sow good seeds. Help other believers. If they fumble, at least you did your part. God won't blame you for it. That's between them and God. You, you did your best. You did what God called you to do and what the word of God said you should do. Are you listening to me? So, when you read the Bible, you find an interesting scripture that talks about seed sowing. And this is about a man named Samuel. I'm going to read you uh, 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 something and then I'm, first, I'm going to give you a background to this. So the background to this was, when you read First Samuel chapter number 8, um, Samuel was a judge. So before Samuel, and before this, this part which I'm going to read to you, there used to be a time when Israel was governed by people called judges. Somebody say judges. And these judges were people whom the Spirit of the Lord would come upon. God would select these people, and the Spirit of the Lord would come upon them, and they would begin judging Israel or ruling Israel. So this is why you find people like Gideon. You find people like Deborah. You find people like Samson. 
and they would fight. The Spirit of the Lord would come upon them, and some of these people would be able to even kill a thousand in one battle because the Spirit of the Lord was upon them. And they would have such wisdom, like Deborah, who was a woman, in a time when women were despised and they didn't really have power to rule. But because they couldn't dispute the Spirit of the Lord upon her, they had to submit to her because it was the Spirit of the Lord who called her. And you see, if the spirit of the Lord is upon you, it doesn't matter your sex. It doesn't matter your tribe. It doesn't matter your education. You will still rule. And I see the spirit of the Lord working in your life in the name of Jesus. Say, that's me. So Samuel was called as a prophet and he judged, uh, he judged Israel. But then when Samuel grew old, he had his children, you know. And his children were not the best. They couldn't rule properly. Some of his children... I mean, his children, all his sons, began to take bribes from people and they perverted justice. And they would sleep around with women, you see. And these were people who used to minister to people. So the people said, there's something wrong. So what they said is they went to someone and said, look, you're old and we want a judge. Someone should take over from you. And then they said, we want a king over us like the nations of the world. Now, the Israelites never used to have a king. They used to have God choose somebody, a leader among them, and through that person, God would lead them. But at this point, they decided, we don't want that anymore. We want a king like the nations of the other worlds. So they began copying the system of the world. They said, we want a king like the nations, like the Philistines, like the Amalekites, and like the Hittites, and the other people. It says, we want a king like them, so that he could lead them into battle. And that was a little strange. Because God always fought their battles. When you read Israelite history, sometimes you would find that when they stand up to go and fight, there would just be confusion in the camp of the enemy, and the enemy would begin killing himself. People would just say, Oh, let's fight. And they would fight, and then they would kill each other, just like that. I, I, I mean, true story. One time, God began to fight for them. Suddenly, as they went to fight, stones started rising and started. Just, you see a, a stone being elevated and levitating, and then it would hit the enemy. Then they would just go, oh, let's fight. They don't even, they never even used to have swords. That's how bad it used to be. So God would always fight their battles. You see? So they didn't need what the world needed. You need to know that sometimes you don't need the connections that the world has. Stop envying the world. Stop envying how they are doing it. The methods they are using are unsanctified. No, but these are the only methods which are bringing numbers. No. When the spirit of the Lord is upon you, you can do something very silly and still make it. Like I told you, even if David was supposed was to strike the foot of, of Goliath, Goliath would have still fallen and died. Because it was not about the stone. It was about the spirit on the stone. So we have to understand that we as, as believers have got a greater advantage. In your school, you've got a greater advantage. In your family, you've got a greater advantage. Do not be like the people of the world. If he cannot stay with you unless he sleeps with you, let him go. He was not meant for you in the first place. If it's not love if it's not patient. Because for you, the word of God says love is patient. So if he can't wait seven years, yeah, why are you getting into a relationship now when you know that you've got seven years before you settle? So if you can't wait, bye-bye. Let me see your bye-bye hand, everybody. Yeah. No, I just like the way they take photos together. You, you don't know what happens in the background. 
You don't know what happens in the background. Keep your lane. Focus on how God said you succeed. Divine instruction is key. Praise God. So God warned them. He said, when you have this king, these were people of the flesh. They were tired of seeing all this. They said, we want a king. They noticed how other kings were being respected as they are walking. You know, you're walking with your king, then you just have a judge who is like simple like this. And then there's a king this side with a, a crown made of gold. And there are all those rubies and all, you know, gemstones and all that kind of stuff. And you're looking at, you, you see why I, I like having a lapel mic. I feel like I can't express myself enough. Anyways, when you fix it. So, you know, they would look at that and they would envy it. You envy just how they talk about uh, how their business deals are working. You, you, you look at how he has just made it suddenly. You are impressed with how she has been in that relationship and it, di- it didn't take so much for her. You begin to envy. And the moment you begin envying, you begin being introduced to the process through which they got what they got. And you become like them. Sometimes. And we believe it's not the ends that justify the means. It's the means that justify the end. That's for us believers. Process is key. And I don't understand what people mean when they say trust in the process. By the way, I believe in trusting God through the process. Okay, so um, the, the, this were the people. God, so someone went to cry to the Lord and said, ah, Lord, hmm, these people, they want a king. And God said, it's not you they've rejected, it's me. He felt like they had rejected him. And sometimes that's how women of God feel. That's how you also feel when you preach to somebody and they think you're no longer cool and you can't be in their WhatsApp groups anymore because you're that religious girl or guy. You know, you're spiritual and you can't be found in their circles anymore. You cannot be in their squad anymore. So you feel like they've rejected you. At least you used to have friends, but you don't have any friends anymore. And you just feel like you're lame because you can't fit in anymore. You just look like a nerd and all that kind of stuff. You know, it's not you they've rejected, it's God they've rejected. Because the Bible says, whoever accepts you, Matthew chapter 10, verse 41 and 40, says, if you receive a prophet, you know, you can, it goes on to say, if you receive a righteous man, if you receive a man of God, you don't just receive him, you receive him who sent him. See? So every time people reject you, they reject God. Every time people think you are not cool because of the gospel, they think God is not cool because of the gospel. So, this guy was crying and God told him, are you the one they've rejected? It's me. It's me they have rejected. So, they rejected God. And he said, give them the king that they want. So, they were looking at the king. They would look at this Agag. He was the king of the Philistines, Amalekites. You know, big king. You know, he had this stamina and he was huge. I'll tell you why. I'll show you all these things. He was huge and good looking. And when he says, we are going to fight, everyone goes, you know, and people would just like, and the Israelites would just be like, wow, we also need a king, you know. Verse 17. Then chapter 10, verse 17. Then Samuel called the people together to the Lord at Mitzpah. And he said to the Israelites, that saith the Lord, the God of Israel, 
it was I who brought Israel up from Egypt and I rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians and from all the kingdoms that were oppressing you. But today you have rejected your God who himself saves you from all your disasters and, and distresses. I almost said disastrouses. Maybe they are female disasters. So. <laughs> Yet you have said, no, set a king over us. Now then, present yourselves before God by your tribes and by your families. That is clans. Chapter 10, verse 20 of Samuel, chapter, of first Samuel. And when Samuel brought all the tribes of Israel near, the tribe of Benjamin was chosen by Lot. Okay, they cast lots. That's what it means. It doesn't mean Lot was there to select. Okay. Then he brought the tribe of Benjamin near by the families, and the family of Matri was chosen by Lot. And so the son of Kish was chosen by Lot. But when they looked for him, they could not find him. Verse 22. So they inquired the Lord, where is he? Has he come here yet? And the Lord answers, he is here hiding himself by the provisions and the supplies. He wasn't even too confident in himself when he was being chosen. He was hiding somewhere afraid because he was told he was going to be king. Wow. So they ran and took him from there. He will come be our king. Now listen to this. When he stood among the people, he was taller than any of the people. From his shoulders upwards. Samuel said to all the people, Do you see him who the Lord has chosen? For there is no one like him among all the people. Listen to this. So the people shouted, Long live the king! Why? Because they chose a king by how he looked. They looked at Saul. He was tall. He was taller than all of them. He was upstanding. Let me show you something. The Bible also says he was handsome. When you read 1 Samuel chapter number 9, verse 1, look at this. These people wanted a king to rule over them like the way the nations are. It's like the way you would want a man with who, who has got the six-pack. And we all have six-pack. We just don't like showing off. So you want a man with six-pack who is tall. When we tell most of these sisters, he is short, you begin rejecting. I reject. I reject. I reject. I reject. You are rejecting. You see? Because you want a man the way the world wants a man. One son of me, one son of mine came to complain to me one time. Pastor, there's nothing I lack. I know how to drive. I'm educated. I have a vision. I'm going for pastor. You know me. I was like, I know Sunny. <laughs> but I was rejected. Why? Because I'm short. A bash rejecting men because they are short. That's not God's will. You want a man the way they look in the magazines. But for you, you want people to sing for you. I can see past your makeup. That's what you want. But you. <laughs> so these were men of the flesh. Look at this. Samuel chapter, first Samuel chapter number one, verse one. The Bible says, there was a man of the tribe of Benjamin whose name was Kish, the son of Abel, the son of Zeror, the son of the Korath, the son of a fire, and a Benjaminite, a mighty man of influence and wealth. See that? Kish had a son named Saul, a choice and handsome man. 
Among the sons of Israel, there was not a man more handsome than he. From his shoulders and up, he was ahead, taller than any of the people. So they just saw him and fell in love. Girigidi. Long live the king. They saw a business. The moment they had, everyone was investing in it. It's becoming rich. They invested everything they had immediately. And that's how they ran into a depression six months later. They rushed into it because it looked lucrative and everybody was getting rich. So they rushed into it. Because it's a friend of theirs who seems to have been making it and is doing fine. Yet they were together in high school. How do you make it? I want the world that you want. Let me take you to Baba Gugu Gaga. <laughs> and they went. That's how they ended up sacrificing their family members. Because they were driven by the flesh. You want somebody who should be bringing you Romani creams. You want somebody who will be bringing you chocolate. No, me, I can't accept a man. First, he needs to be driving. No, she has to be light first. I mean, not everyone can be light, but what you need to know is you, it's about the heart. Don't follow the face. You think I'm being hypocritical? No, it's true. We give you all. You know, when I look at Mavis, I just want to worship. She reminds me of that scripture. And the light shines. She's a lily among thorns. Okay, so what the Bible is trying to say, what the Bible is trying to say, There are two kinds of women. Mavis and the rest. <laughs> and the church said amen. amen. So then they followed the face. They looked at him, he was tall and handsome and mighty. They would even measure his feet. Yeah, a, a king had to add a certain f- foot length. You just can't be a king anyhow. So they want, so God, you see, listen to this. There's a dimension of God where God gives you over to your desires. The Bible teaches that God has got this thing within him where when he tries to lead people and they insist, he gives them over to their desires. So the fact that you got exactly what you wanted doesn't mean it was God who gave you. Sometimes it means that God gave you up to your desires. And when God gives you up to your desires, it means he has given you up to another God. Because passions, listen to this, listen to this. And this is very powerful. When you learn this, you'll be amazed. And as we read on, we'll find it. When we talk about idolatry, idolatry or the worship of other idols, what you see when people bow down, give me Romans chapter number one, meanwhile, verse 20. When people begin to bow down, when people begin to bow down to, to, to graven images and idols, 
that is just a result of the root that was already, that's just a fruit. Idolatry is deeper than the mere worship of an idol. It means in the first place, in your heart, in your passion, God was non-existent. So, when you follow your passions above what is provided to you in the word of God, already inside, you are beginning to worship another God. When you make outside, it's just an expression of what is already on the inside. So, you see, especially passions, because worship is as a result of passion. There's no worship which is not as a result of a passion. Write this down. Worship is as a result of passions. Your passions describe your energy, your strength. And worship is also defined by where you take your strength and your passions. That's what the Bible says. You shall worship the Lord your God with all your strength. Look at that. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Go on. Then the Bible goes on to say, because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Go on. Professing to be wise, they became fools. Go on and change the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. Go on. Therefore, God gave them up to uncleanness. God gave them up in the lusts or passions of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves. So God gave them up. There is the way God designed things to be. There was a natural way that God designed human beings to be. But then because they had passions for one another, they kept pushing. They noticed how God naturally created things. Then they insisted, we want a fellow woman. We want a fellow man. So when they kept insisting, God gave them up so that they can stop putting their passions toward God so that they can bend for one another since it's what they wanted. So it says, and we need another carpet here. So it says, therefore God gave them up among themselves. Read on. I'm going to say some very deep things, very quick, so that we move fast. Who exchanged the truth for God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the created, who is blessed forever. Amen. Go on. Then it says, for this reason, God gave them up to their vile passions. For even their women exchange the natural use for what is against nature. Number one, women exchange natural use for what is against nature. Nature dictates certain things. Even when people are naturally meeting for sex, there's a way things must happen. But when lust is burning in people's hearts, they will go where things are supposed to be coming out for entrance. For that reason, you have left what is called for natural use and used unnatural means so that you can satisfy your desires. You were given certain things to use a certain way. Why do you want to use the ear <laughs> and other things? So is anal sex agreeable in marriage? No, for that reason. That's why I said I will say very deep things, but I will say them very fast. I know this generation, if I, don't, if I don't spare you, if I spare you, the world will not spare you. So let me quickly give you my thoughts.
there is the natural use of a woman. The food is only for the mouth, for eating mouth food. You know what should go in the mouth. Yeah, the Bible says they exchange the natural use. I'm giving you reasons why you should not do certain things. And if you think certain things are boring, that's how the spirit of lust starts. That's how it starts. So you think it's boring, you want deeper. The way you're looking at me, I'll be here for a long time. <laughs> you are looking like, no, pastor is making us uncomfortable, yet when you're reading those strange things, you're so happy. Yet, here you think, okay. So, for this reason, God gave them up. Go on. For even their women exchange. Likewise, also the men. Kai Eve is the one who begins to eat the wrong fruit, then now it goes to the husband. <laughs> like us, the men living the natural use of the woman, they were not satisfied with the woman. The Bible says they burned in their lust for one another, men with men, committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty for the error which was due. They received the penalty in themselves. They are sins against the body. The Bible says, whosoever the, the Bible says, uh, 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 whosoever commits sexual sin, sins against his own body. That means, whilst every other sin is outside, this one, you are sinning against your own body. You may make your body do certain things. Look, you are not your body. Normally, the spirit is the one that decides to do certain things. Paul said in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter number 9, verses 27, I buffet my body. I put it under control. I tell it what to do. That is also true in the opposite. You can tell the body to do the wrong thing. And therefore, you have sinned against your body. So, some people, it's their own body which will be a witness against them. So, there are some people who worship their pain. Because of what they went through, you can't touch them. They will always complain, even after they are saved. They will still want to refer to what happened to them when they were three years old. There's like a three-year-old child in them who must go. It's not healthy. No, when I was three, what happened was this and this happened. And I know, you see, this is why the gospel has to go to, the, to all the world. Because there are people... I was... I, I told you how I was listening to and a, a big man. And because of what happened to him when he was young. He's not been delivered. I've always felt like I'm different. I always felt like there's a side of me that can accept any sex. I feel like I can, you know, and they're just opening up. I have to be true to myself because this is how I feel. This is who I am. Even a man is talking like this. Just know there's a problem. Trust me, you needed this demon. So, what we are simply learning is, this is why we are called to have self-control. Because if our passions are without control, they will end up being our God. It's so sacred to them what they went through. 
the emotions they have felt after the first boyfriend disappointed them. It's so, it's so important to them, they can't get over it. Because all men are the same. Yeah, there are people like that. They are now afraid of every man. Even the right one will come and they will go left because they can't get over what happened to them in the past. But that will never be your portion. Amen. Amen. You are cut from a different cloth. Hallelujah. Yeah, I find it difficult to obey my husband because my father was abusive to my mother. Such things. Saved, filled with the spirit. But there's still a side of them they've not let go. You have come to the faith now. You never existed. Let go of your past. Are you listening to me? Yeah. It doesn't matter what you did. It doesn't matter what you did. Don't constantly cry about the past. It will become your idol. No. I don't know. Some people are ashamed of getting... They are in an abusive relationship because they said, after everything I've done with this man, no one will ever accept me. Let me just tell you this. I'm going to say this really fast, and then I will go to some cool stuff. I promise. You see, virginity is not a reason, really. It's not virginity that makes a marriage. It's the nature of the woman. It's the nature of the woman. You can have a very sour virgin who you've married. Very sour, very disrespectful. I'm warning you. People did things in the past. They are a new creation. Forgive them, let them go. You are not God. Are you listening to me? Yeah. You can be a virgin and go to hell. So, this Samuel guy, so, what I'm saying is that so, so he told them, when you choose this so, can I hear an amen? Amen. I feel like I need to conclude this sermon. You are not ready for it, right? (laughs) You didn't see it coming. (laughs) Oh, God. I'm sure you saw my status on WhatsApp, which I put up. Even I was trembling when I was looking at my own sermon. But Jesus is still Lord. Amen. Don't worry, we are still in church. Okay. Now, I, I want to show you something. So, Paul told them, look, I mean, Samuel told them, when you choose this king, what he is going to do is interesting because he's going to lord it over you. He will take your sons and daughters and make them his slaves. He will take some of your sons and use them in battle and use them to drive chariots and some of them will die in the battlefront. He told them he will take some of them and he will, he will confiscate some of your fields for his own gain. He will take your women and make them bakers and, and winemakers and some of them will be perfumers. He will use you. They said, we still want a king. So God gave them up. That, 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 that insistence, that you will, soon you will see that stubbornness is like idolatry. We'll get to that. You see? So, so let, let me show you something that started happening eventually. And we are closing. 
Praise God. Hallelujah. And let me show you something that began happening. When you read the book of Samuel chapter number 17, trouble begins. Now they have this king. He is so, he's big, he's huge. And everybody's, ah, sir, can I take a selfie with you? They take and then they post. And everybody is seeing in the Philistine country, oh, they also have a king. You know, because those are worldly people, so they feel jealous. And they are so proud because they have a king. Who has replaced God? You see? Yeah, that's what happened. Now, I want you to look at this. First Samuel chapter 10. I will go to verse 17. Then Samuel called the people together to the Lord at Mitzpah. No, this is not the scripture I'm looking for. I'm looking for Samuel, First Samuel chapter number 15, actually. Give me First Samuel chapter number 15. This is where it gets hot. Twenda na yesu. Twenda na yesu. Twenda na yesu. NKJV. Samuel also said to Saul, the Lord sent me to anoint you king over his people, over Israel. Now therefore, heed the voice of the words of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I will punish the Amalekites. I will punish Amalek for what he did to Israel. How he ambushed him on the way when he, he, he came up from Egypt. Now go, attack Amalek. Utterly destroy all that they have and do not spare them but kill both man and woman, infant and nursing child, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. Don't say why was God doing it. Just thank God you're not an Amalekite. <laughs> Stop complicating matters here. So Saul gathered the people together and numbered them in Telem, in, in Telem. a hundred thousand foot soldiers and all those people, and he went there and lay in the valley, verse 6, then Saul said to the Canaanites, God, depart, get down from the Amalekites, lest I destroy you with them. For you showed kindness to all the evening. And he goes on. And then he also took his... So, verse 7, and Samuel attacks the Amalekites from Havilah all the way to Shur, which is east of Egypt. He also took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive and utterly destroyed all the people with the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep and the oxen, the fatlings, the lambs, and all that was good and were unwilling to utterly destroy them. But everything despised and worthless, they utterly destroyed. Remember, the instruction was to destroy everything. Yet then they went and said, ah, we cannot destroy all the sheep. Look at how fat they are. Hey, first the king will not destroy. We'll use him for fun. And then they said, look at the, 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 the gods. No, we're not going to. So they, the Bible says, destroy everything. Then they only destroyed the worthless things. Let's go on. Now the word of the Lord came to Samuel saying, listen, I greatly regret that I have set up so as king. Imagine God regretting his decision. This is like the second time in the Bible God is regretting. First, he regretted for having created man. That should be uh, 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 Genesis chapter 6. He regretted for having, because of the wickedness 
This time, God is regretting. He's feeling bad for appointing it. God is feeling, the reason why God is regretting was not because he made the wrong decision. It's because he feels touched because he's in a covenant with these people. And now everything that these people, everything that the king, who these people appointed is doing, is repugnant to godly law. It's detestable. He can't follow simple instructions. He is a man of the flesh. God told him, destroy everything. He went to keep things that looked nice. Because he's a man of the flesh. He doesn't follow spiritual law. He wants to do things that he feels. Because the things are pleasing to the eye, he decides he should do it. It gets deeper. And it grieved Samuel. And he cried out to the Lord all night. So when Samuel rose early in the morning to meet Saul, it was told, Samuel saying, Saul went to Carmel. And indeed he set up a monument for himself. And he has gone on around, passing by and gone down to Gigo. In other words, after taking everything and only killing the worthless things, he even went and did a statue for himself. Saul has done it. The Lord was with him. He was a proud man. Everybody was worshipping him. Oh, look at what you've said. We need to build a monument to your honor, my king. And he said, please do it. And they did it. They built it to be a huge store like him, handsome. And people loved what they saw. But did God love what he was saying? Then Samuel went to Saul, and Saul said to him, Blessed are you of the Lord. He's greeting the man of God. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. But Samuel said, What then is this bleating of the sheep in my ears, and the lowing of the oxen which I hear? And Saul said, ah, They have brought them from the Amalekites for the people, spared the best of the sheep and the oxen, to sacrifice to the Lord your God. And the rest we have utterly destroyed. He's making an argument. We know God told us to do this, but we left some so that we can give him something. You know? Then someone said, be quiet, and I will tell you what the Lord has said to me. Samuel was so, stub so, was so stubborn that even when Samuel was telling him, what is the bleating of the sheep and the crying of the oxen or the cattle that I'm hearing? He said, ah, we've got some things that we could sacrifice to the Lord. In other words, he was wondering, so God is ungrateful. After we bring things to him, he's even telling us we did something wrong. There are people like that who when God blesses them and they give, they say, look, half obedience is disobedience. You must obey in full. If you're going to tithe, the Bible says, bring the whole tithe. You think because you've brought 50,000 when you're you are supposed to bring 100,000, the church should appreciate. It's not like, no, every, you may so one day, so that's what he's trying to say. God is interested in your obedience more than your sacrifices. Shout, I'm obedient. It gets deeper here now. He says, and to heed than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. Rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. And stubbornness is as the sin of idolatry. Rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. Why is rebellion like the sin of witchcraft? Listen to this. So, rebellion is as a sin of witchcraft. 
the word rebellion there comes from a Hebrew word, meri. And meri literally means bitterness. So when the Bible says rebellion there, the Hebrew word is meri. And meri literally means bitterness. So you can replace the word rebellion there with the word bitterness. In other words, it will correctly sound as bitterness is as the sin of witchcraft. So why is bitterness tantamount to witchcraft? It's because when people are bitter, they will do things they never thought they would do. A woman who is bitter, <coughs> a man who is bitter, an offended person who eventually becomes bitter will behave like a witch because they have to make out vengeance. So when you are rebellious, God equates you. God equates you to a witch because a person who is rebellious never became rebellious except they were bitter. You look at all the people that took away power through coup d'etats. You look at uh, everybody that took over power, who took away or overthrew governments. You look at Hitler. Why Hitler did what he did was because he was bitter. He didn't like the Jews. So he decided when we take over, he rebelled against authority. What made him to be a rebel was because he was bitter. And because he was bitter, he behaved like a witch. So when a person is rebellious, they are also a witch. That's what the Bible is trying to say. Rebellion is as witchcraft. Say, I'm obedient. Witchcraft is not just necessarily staying in a kabush and saying, I throw four bones. No, 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 no. This is why obedience is key. There's a reason why the Bible insists on obedience. The word of God insists on obedience. It's for this reason. And then he goes on to say, stubbornness is as the sin of idolatry. Remember, when a person is stubborn, it means God cannot move them. They can only obey themselves. They are a God to themselves. A person who is stubborn cannot be directed by God or by man. Even demons have to try to sway him for him to listen. Because he's a God of himself. There is no, there's no pride in saying, ah, she's a stubborn girl. There's no pride. There's no joy in saying, ah, I have a stubborn. This boy is stubborn in the house. I have a stubborn. Give him. If you have any. Ah, you should try my house. She's just naturally like, she's a stubborn girl. And people are proud. He's a stubborn, the man is stubborn. They are proud. You shouldn't be, no one should be proud of stubbornness. Because stubbornness is like worshipping another god. You must be bendable. You must be willing to listen. Shout hallelujah. hallelujah. That's what he was trying to say there. Oh my goodness. And a man who is bitter, the Bible shows us that when a person is bitter, they are also profane. Remember, you are rebellious, so you are bitter. That means you don't listen to God. Yeah, because you are, if, you are, if, you are, if, if, if you are rebellious, it means God will tell you something. That's where witchcraft comes from. It says rebellious, rebellion is like witchcraft. Why? It's because a person who is rebellious will disobey divine law. Why does a human being want to fly when they were meant to walk? 
I'm not talking about technology. I'm talking about means. <laughs> and someone is even busy seeing that I'm flying Gendosh Pakapendul. What a comparison. I heard it on a bus. Heard it on a bus, just like you. Someone is saying, yeah, it's in my phone. Hey, hey, hey. <laughs> I'm done. When a man is bitter, they are automatically going to lose reverence from God for God. So they will do witchcraft. A man who's rebellious like Esau. How many have read the story of Esau? Genesis chapter number 27, you'll find that. He was rebellious. Bitterness was inevitable. He was rebellious. He didn't have regard for spiritual things. He was the firstborn. He was the one who was supposed to rule over Jacob. But he was a rebellious man. So, he didn't respect godly things. You, are we going to eat church? Let's remain home and wake. They've got no regard for spiritual things. This is your let's pray, let's pray. It's not, it's not everything you get from God. Let's pray, let's pray. I would rather you pray about everything than you, you just do things. If someone is going to teach you not to pray, they have to give you a very good revelation. Because you are better off in your ignorance praying than just doing things. He ate. He said, I'm hungry, my brother. Give me what to eat. The brother said, ah, there's nothing to eat. So he said, no, uh, sell me your birthright. He said, I'll give you my birthright. Just give me food. He was saying, this, this boy, Jacob, is a fool. He thinks he'll eat birthright. He'll take it and eat it. Okay, I've sold you the birthright. He didn't know that just like that, he sold his birthright. How do you think he sold his birthright? That's what I'm saying. Someone who tells you, ah, hmm, we are not going to eat church, we should work. Do you know what they've lacked? What they've missed right there? He had no regard for spiritual things. These same men of God, and you list them, and you talk about them, you slander them. You just talk anyhow. The man of God is not your friend. You're not buddies. You just can't talk. The Bible talks about those who slander celestial beings in the book of Jude. And that's what the devil is. The word Satan means slanderer. One who takes news from one place to the other and disregards people and reduces them in the way he talks about them. He gossips about them. That's why social media could be one of the easiest tools that Satan can use because it's, it's natural to his nature. The Bible says when he speaks a lie, he speaks his native language. Because it's my native language.
So when he tells a lie, I was telling people the word, the song, kong, 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 I put one English word. No. There's one English word in the kong, kong, kong song. No. That's the English word that's there. Oh, no, no, no. That's the one. So I no, it won't look nice. Let's put an English word. That's how we put it comes naturally to him. He's a liar. So, slander. You can't just talk about certain people anyhow. Even if you are bitter, you hold your peace. Are you listening to me? You hold your peace. Somebody was saying, no, pastor, you are deep. Uh, after I preached one time, powerful, it's powerful. You know, sometimes when I went to preach, I preached. You know, I even feeling like, ah, today I preached. Then a person sincerely came to me, Pastor, you are powerful. Then he said, not like that man of God. Ah, I jumped. <laughs> there are certain people, you look at them, you know, this one is bigger than me. Even in ministry, there are people who are bigger than us. They've gone before us. Even in the faith, there are people that are bigger than us. You have to know where your lines are drawn. You just can't be eweying everyone. Ewe. Even if you are bitter, you can't be doing ewe to everyone. The body spirit has destroyed a lot of people. Even if you are offered a friendship, you have to draw its line. So this guy was rebellious, so he ate the beans and sold his birthright. And then it came to pass, when the father was about to die, he told him, go cook a meal, then I'll eat it and bless you. The mother had, he was, everything was happening so that it could fulfill that he had sold his birthright. The mother had quickly went to Kurukungu, killed Deka, whatever he could, put spices for the meat that the father liked and presented to the young person to go, to go give the father. The father went, my son, Esau, are you the one? Ha, just Jacob was like, this said daddy. That's how Esau liked to talk. This said daddy. He touched him. He had put the fur of the animal he killed around him. He said, Kai, Esau was a hairy man and he liked to hunt. So he looked like an animal, obviously. It's part of, <laughs> it's part of what? What do you call it? Hiding. Camouflage. He was a hairy man. No. To take, okay, maybe if you think I'm going deeper, you take the fur of the animal you've killed and put it around you. And when a person touches you, they say, yeah, you, you, sound, you, you feel like the person. <laughs> Imagine how he used to look like. So I'm not too far <laughs> in my comparison. <laughs> he was human, yes, but uh, <laughs> it is well. So he touched him and said, ah, you feel like Esau, but your voice sounds like, ah, daddy, this. Eh. Your voice sounds like Jacob. Ah, don't worry, daddy. Taste the soup. The father tasted it and blessed him. The scriptures is in Genesis 27, but it's also in uh, Hebrews 12. And Hebrews 12 explains it better. You know, blessed him. You, he said, I have put everything under him. I have made him. He, made, he, he didn't give him anything physically. He told him, 
have made you boss over your brothers. I've made you, I've made your brothers your servants. They shall save you. That's what, that, that was the blessing. You shall own everything. When the actual man was coming, just to fill in prophecy, <laughs> Said, Daddy, it's me, I've come. Said, who is there? It's me, your son, Esau. The Bible says, Isaac trembled greatly because he realized the blessing had left his spirit and settled on Jacob. And do you know why the tricky part? The Bible says, he cried. He said, Daddy, isn't there any blessing left? And the father wasn't helping. 